A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent, Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent, and also down the line from Citigroup, we have banks analyst Ronit Ghosh. Today, we'll be talking about Greek banks as the Greek crisis deteriorates further. Secondly, a look ahead at the UK budget. And finally, an examination of global banker pay as signs emerge that we're getting back to pre-crisis levels. First, though, the topic of Greece and the Greek banks, as ever caught in the middle of the deepening crisis there. Ronit, thanks for joining us. You've recently been on a fact-finding mission to Greece. How long do you think the Greek banks can survive the current turmoil? Not very long at all. They've got literally a few days left in terms of liquidity. The challenge in the short term is all about cash and liquidity, medium to long term It's about capital and solvency, and obviously those are interlinked. In the short term, since last Monday, we've obviously been in capital and deposit controls. Of course, you know, it's 60 euros a day, withdrawals from ATMs, but the money is running out fast. Industry experts that we have spoken to, people who are working in Greek banks are telling us that money is leaving at a rate of between 150 million euros and 250 million euros a day last week after capital controls were imposed. How much cash was there in the banks? Uh, Estimates vary between 500 million and a billion as of last weekend. So on that kind of run rate, you put those numbers together, some point in the middle of this week, I think the cash starts running out. At least one or two banks will run into real difficulty. And it's perhaps no surprise that the ECB have basically, and uh, the Greek authorities, extended this bank holiday up to the end of Wednesday, because I think some kind of new proposal, new technical arrangement needs to be put in place for Thursday. So it's a question of days now. Now, of course, the great hope, everyone's got their fingers crossed that some kind of political progress can be made at the summits of of European leaders and finance ministers on Tuesday. But that may be a a rather hopeful uh, outlook. And indeed, the banks may have to remain closed for longer than you suggest. In the meantime, their situation has worsened. Not only have they the kind of access to new liquidity been frozen at the current 89 billion or so, but the ECB has toughened the collateral requirements, meaning that they have to post new collateral in order to continue to have the liquidity that they have already outstanding. So what does that mean? Do they have that collateral to be able to post it? And how much spare do they have if things get even worse? They do have the collateral, but big picture, the point to remember is this is about political will. If the ECB wanted the Greek banks to keep receiving their funding, they will tailor the collateral rules to make that happen. Let's get into numbers. Patrick, you mentioned 89 billion. Previously, there was a haircut of about 25% or so on collateral. So you were looking at that 90 billion, let's call it, of cash equivalent being backed by about 120 billion of collateral. 
The Greek banks that I met, and this probably now seems like ancient history, but it was only about 10 days ago in Athens, or even less than that, nine or 10 days ago, were saying at the time that they had another 30 billion euros of cash equivalent collateral at the time. If you put in the new collateral rules announced overnight, you're down to about 10 billion ballpark collateral left. Now, the key point here to remember is that collateral almost effectively can be created. Um, You can post government bonds, you can post loans, you can post a lot of things as collateral. So yes, it's interesting that the haircut's been increased, but the haircut's been calibrated in such a way that actually the Greek banks don't run out of collateral, at least this time around. Should the collateral rules, the collateral haircuts be increased further, let's just say later this week or next week, the Greek banks can create more collateral. But ultimately, the question is, it's about political will. And will there be some kind of agreement between the European partners, the creditors on the one hand, and a seeming now somewhat of a consensus among the Greek political leaders as of yesterday to get a deal done and stay in the Eurozone? Our base case remains that we remain in what our economists call grimbo, Greek limbo, rather than Grexit, though many other observers are already working on a Grexit as base case. Our base case remains grimbo. But either way, it's pretty grim for the Greek banks. The liquidity is very tight. When I said the money runs out in a couple of days, I didn't imply or mean to say that the banks will properly reopen in a couple of days. Effectively, uh, if you look at capital controls or deposit controls in other countries, once you impose it, putting it on is a lot easier than taking it off. Just one final point of detail on the collateral. It's not been publicly announced, I don't think, what the new rules are, but you estimate that it'll cost the banks an extra $20 billion in terms of collateral. So does that mean what a haircut is goes from 25% to 35 or something? It's a ballpark estimate, and it should be treated as that. We're estimating that basically about an extra $20 billion of the collateral that they had available will get used up by the new haircut. We think they're effectively, they will... ECB's calibration of the collateral haircuts will push them to the limit of what's available in terms of collateral. I mean, if you look at how the ELA has been increased over the last couple of weeks, they've definitely increased it just as much as needed to keep the system from collapsing, from falling over. They're rolling over just enough from having the system from falling over because I think ultimately if you pull the plug, so to speak, on funding, you effectively start a political process about whether or not Greece stays in the Eurozone as it is today. Effectively, the banks run out of funding. They're alive today, they're in coma, but they're alive today. Pulling the plug on funding means they're no longer alive. Well, with that rather dramatic painting of a picture, let me just go to Martin. What happens next? I mean, obviously, there are various scenarios that could unfold, but how do you see things ending up? Well, talking to bankers, I've been hearing that Alpha Bank, which is seen as one of the more troubled banks, they're losing about 25 million euros a day in terms of outflows. And they've got about a week left of liquidity at that rate. So that ties in with the sort of figures that Ronit was giving. Once the money runs out, the bankers are talking about a couple of scenarios. One is the creation of a parallel currency 
which could be done by the government starting to pay civil servants and pensioners in IOUs, which can be used then to pay taxes in the future. And that could become a tradable currency, perhaps with the issuance of prepaid bank cards with these IOUs stored on the bank cards, which can then be used in stores as a currency to buy goods, etc. The other option, which is being talked about, um, this would require a deal, I think, But if there was some kind of last-minute 11th-hour deal, then you would still need to recapitalise the Greek banking system. And that would be done, people are saying, potentially through the ESM, the European Stability Mechanism, which would inject capital into the banks, take ownership or at least uh, take a big stake in the Greek banks after they have probably sold or agreed to sell their international subsidiaries, what's left. They've got operations in the Balkans and there's a big Turkish bank that's owned by one of the Greek banks. They could also do this as part of a consolidation, so merge, say, four banks down into two, create a bad bank, and then leave the good banks with the best assets and the bad bank held by the government. So these are all options that are being explored. There are more questions really than answers, but this idea of a parallel currency is seen as an interim measure between staying with the euro and complete exit from the euro and the creation of a new drachma is what it would amount to. But nobody really knows how you get quickly to the creation of a new drachma because that takes weeks, if not months, of designing the new currency, printing the new currency, etc. So you need a kind of interim solution. Very good. Well, we'll keep watching that story, obviously, I suspect, every week for the foreseeable future. Let me stick with you, Martin, for the second topic. We want to look forward to the UK budget I suppose one of the key things that the city is going to be looking for, or particularly the banks, is what Mr Osborne says about the bank levy, if anything. What are your thoughts on that, Martin? I think that's the main thing for the banks in the budget. And the expectation is that there will be some kind of olive branch offered. What I hear is that one possibility being looked at by the Treasury is for him to announce some kind of third party review of the bank levy. Is it fair? Should it be reformed? And the one thing that would be looked at by that review is whether it should be shifted from being levied on the international balance sheets of the UK banks to being just levied somehow on their UK activities, whether that be an add on to corporation tax or a shift to just levying it on their liabilities in the UK. One other thing that George Osborne is potentially going to talk about a bit more is plans for um, privatising Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah, some suggestion, I think, uh, that he may signal a desire to be down to minority shareholding within the next couple of years. One big fly in the ointment, though, Caroline, in that whole process is something that emerged recently about RBS's ongoing liability to US regulatory action or a settlement there over mortgage-backed securities that they sold at the height of the boom time pre-crisis. Absolutely. I mean, the timing couldn't be worse in terms of trying to scupper any great announcement about privatisation. So what happened was late last week in a New York court filing, there was a claim from the plaintiffs in that particular action, which is suing RBS. This is uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which acts on behalf of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are obviously the US government-backed mortgage companies. They were saying that in actual fact, RBS owes as much as $13 billion as part of this lawsuit over mortgage-backed securities. What it had done to get to that figure was extrapolate numbers that had come out of a parallel case that's being heard in Connecticut. So 
you've got to expect that this is the plaintiffs sort of talking their own book, worst case scenario. But what is true is that $13 billion is far above what RBS has actually provisioned for and would represent about twice of its profits this year. Yeah, it's an extraordinary number. I think RBS has provisioned for two billion and analysts seem to be expecting somewhere between two and three. So if it was anywhere near 13, then that would be a huge embarrassment, obviously, and practical obstacle for the UK government. But uh, we'll continue watching that. Now, let's move on to our final topic of banker pay. Now, Laura, you did some very analytical work last week in collaboration with an outside body to come up with some pretty thorough analysis of how bank bosses are getting paid these days. And it suggests that we're getting back to somewhere near pre-crisis territory, but not quite there. Give us the full, Jen. We looked at the pay packages of the men who run the world's 15 biggest banks. And I say they're men because they are all male in this case. And we found that on average, their overall pay last year, which includes pay, bonuses, share options altogether, was up significantly on 2013. So they made 17% more. However, we are seeing a growing divide between the US and the European banks. So the average pay rises were far higher for the US banks and they were far lower for the European banks. There's also a big skew to certain banks. So we saw the chief executive of JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon, he got a 134% rise in pay, which was by far the highest. The next closest to that was James Gorman, who's the CEO of Morgan Stanley. He got a 66% pay rise. There are some quirks in the data which go to when pay is actually accounted for. But we can say overall that these two guys got far and away the highest pay rises. Elsewhere, you're looking at 10%, 20%, which is still good, but it isn't the same kind of stellar rewards that they had seen previously. And while we are approaching the pre-crisis levels in some of them, we do still have a good way to go. I mean, if we look at the figures for 2008, in that year, the highest paid bank CEO, which was um, Goldman Sachs' Lloyd Blankfein, he made just over $40 million, whereas this year, the highest paid CEO made just under $28 million. So we are still a good way away from the highs that we saw previously. I guess that's what kind of counts for pay restraint in the banking sector. But that point about the US diverging from Europe is an interesting one. I suppose there's two factors involved there, are there? There's the kind of relative underperformance of European banks versus their US competitors. But there's also the regulatory environment in Europe, which is tougher in in terms of pay than the US. Yeah, I think it's certainly fair to say that in recent years, we have definitely seen the US banks outperform the European banks, particularly at this kind of large global investment bank level. When it comes to the restraint on pay in Europe, it isn't just the formal stuff on the regulatory side. It's also a different public environment. So in the UK, in many parts of Europe, it's just not acceptable to pay someone 40, 50 million to do a job, to do any job. I mean, most of the regulatory restraints, they don't go to absolute levels of compensation. They go to the portion of your pay, which is fixed, which is bonus. So in theory, it makes it harder to pay people more, but it doesn't make it impossible. What makes it impossible is the fact that you have policymakers in Europe will not tolerate this. Shareholders in Europe will not tolerate this. And even though shareholders are happy enough for pay to be high in the event that you have high returns, you'd find very hard to find a bank shareholder who would support a 50 million pay package in any environment, even like 2030, because the problem with the idea of the high pay being tied to high rewards is that they have seen that when it comes to banking, you can have outsized rewards for a period of time. And then it turns out that you actually made some very bad decisions. Some of those profits which you booked weren't actually real and you end up taking those outside losses later. So we have seen bankers try to adopt pay for that and they now have to defer a lot of their compensation and that goes 
some of the way towards actually squaring that. But still, I think even when you see a bank's earnings soaring by 10, 20, 30 percent, people don't really believe it. And because they don't really believe it, they aren't willing to pay for it. And worth pointing out there that in terms of that deferral and so on, the UK and Europe have rules now on clawback that are far stricter than any elsewhere in the world, particularly the UK new ideas of uh, a 10-year clawback that may come in. We should round up there. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin, Laura and Caroline here in the studio and also Ronit Ghosh from Citigroup down the line. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. You can also find there the full interactive graphic relating to that pay story. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this, you might like to try our Hard Currency podcast presented by me, Roger Blitz, the FT's currencies correspondent. Each week, I discuss the main talking points in the markets with experts in the field. You can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts every Thursday.